The Legacy, Part 2 There is no word in the drow language for love. The closest word I can think of is stintrig, but that is a term better equated with physical lust or selfish greed. The concept of love exists in the heart of some drow, of course, but true love, a selfless desire often requiring personal sacrifice, has no place in a world of such bitter and dangerous rivalries. The only sacrifices in drow culture are gifts to Loth, and those are surely not selfless, since the giver hopes praise for something greater in return. Still, the concept of love was not new to me when I left the Underdark. I loved Zachnafane. I loved Belwar and Clacker. Indeed, it was the capacity, the need, for love that ultimately drove me from Menzaberanzan. Is there in all the wide world a concept more fleeting, more elusive? Many people of all the races seem simply not to understand love, burden its beauteous simplicity with perceived notions and unrealistic expectations. How ironic that I, walking from the darkness of loveless men to Baranzan, can better grasp the concept than many of those who have lived with it, or at least with the very real possibility of it, for all of their lives. Some things a renegade drow will not take for granted. My few journeys to Silvery Moon in these past ten days have invited good-hearted jests from my friends. Sure and the elf has his eyes fixed on another wedding, Brunner has often crooned, regarding my relationship with Illustrial, the Lady of Silvery Moon. I accept the taunts in light of the sincere warmth and hopes behind them, and have not dashed those hopes by explaining to my dear friends that their notions are misguided. I appreciate Illustrial and the goodness she has shown me. I appreciate that she, a ruler in a too often unforgiving world, has taken such a chance as to allow a dark elf to walk freely down her city's wondrous avenues. Illustrial's acceptance of me as a friend has allowed me to draw my desires from my true wishes, not from expected limitations. But do I love her? No more than she loves me. I will admit, though, I do love the notion that I could love Illustrial, and she could love me, and that, if the attraction were present, the color of my skin and the reputation of my heritage would not deter the noble lady of Silvery Moon. I now know, though, that love has become the most prominent part of my existence, that my bond of friendship with Brunner and Wolfgar and Regis is of utmost importance to any happiness that this drow will ever know. My bond with Caterbury runs deeper still. Honest love is a selfless concept, that I have already said, and my own selflessness has been put to a severe test this spring. I fear now for the future, for Caterbury and Wolfgar and the barriers they must, together, overcome. Wolfgar loves her, I do not doubt, but he burdens his love with a possessiveness that borders on disrespect. He should understand the spirit that is Caterbury, should see clearly the fuel that stokes the fires in her marvelous blue eyes. It is that very spirit that Wolfgar loves, and yet he will undoubtedly smother it under the notions of a woman's place as her husband's possession. My barbarian friend has come far from his youthful days roaming the tundra. Farther still must he come to hold the heart of Brunner's fiery daughter, to hold Caterbury's love. Is there in all the world a concept more fleeting more elusive. Drizzt Duarden. Chapter 6. A Path Straight and Smooth. 
I'll not accept the group from Nesme. Bruno growled at the barbarian emissary from Settlestone. But King Dwarf, the large, red-haired man stammered helplessly. No! Bruner's severe tone silenced him. The archers of Nesme played a role in reclaiming Mithril Hall. Drizzt, who stood at Bruner's side in the audience hall, promptly reminded the dwarven king. Bruner shifted abruptly in his stone seat. You've forgotten the treatment that Nesme dogs gave you when we first passed through their land? He asked the drow. Drizzt shook his head, the notion actually bringing a smile to his face. Never, he replied but his calm tones and expression revealed that while he had not forgotten, he apparently had forgiven. Looking at his ebon-skinned friend so at peace and content, the huffy dwarf's rage was soon deflated. You think I should let them come to the wedding, then? You are the king now, answered Drizzt, and he held out his hands as though that simple statement should explain everything. Bruner's expression showed clearly that it did not, though, and so the equally stubborn dark elf promptly elaborated. Your responsibilities to your people lie in diplomacy, Drizzt explained. Nesmi will be a valuable trading partner and a worthwhile ally. Besides, we can forgive the soldiers of an oft-imperiled town for their reaction to the sight of a dark elf. Bah! You're too soft-hearted, elf, Bruner grumbled. And you're taking me along with you. He looked to the huge barbarian, obviously akin to Wolfgar, and nodded. Send out me welcome to Nesmi, then, but I'll be needing a count of them that's to attend. The barbarian cast an appreciative look at Drizzt, then bowed and was gone, though his departure did little to stop Bruner's grumblings. A hundred things to do, elf, the dwarf complained. You try to make your daughter's wedding the grandest the land has ever seen, Drizzt remarked. Aye, I try, Bruner agreed. She's deserving it, Mikatabri. I've tried to give her what I could all these years, but... Bruner held his hands out, inviting a visual inspection of his stout body, a pointed reminder that he and Caterbury were not even of the same race. Drizzt put a hand on his friend's strong shoulder. No human could have given her more, he assured Bruner. The dwarf sniffled. Drizzt did well to hide his chuckle. But a hundred damn things... Bruner roared, his fit of sentimentality predictably short-lived. King's daughter has got to get a proper wedding, I say, but I'm not forgetting much help in doing the damn thing right. Drizzt knew the source of Bruner's overblown frustration. The dwarf had expected Regis, a former guildmaster and undeniably skilled in etiquette, to help in planning the huge celebration. Soon after Regis had arrived in the halls, Bruner had assured Drizzt that his troubles were over, that... Rumble Belly will see to what's needin' seein' to. In truth, Regis had taken on many tasks, but hadn't performed as well as Bruner had expected or demanded. Drizzt wasn't sure if this came from Regis's unexpected ineptitude or Bruner's doting attitude. A dwarf rushed in then and handed Bruner twenty different scrolls of possible layouts for the dining hall. Another dwarf came in on the first one's heels, bearing an armful of potential menus for the feast. Bruner just sighed and looked helplessly at Drizzt. You will get through this, the drow assured him. And Caterbury will think it is the greatest celebration ever given. Drizzt meant to go on, but his last statement gave him pause and a concerned expression crossed his brow that Bruner did not miss. You're worried for the girl, the observant dwarf remarked. 
more for Wolfgar, Drizzt admitted. Bruner chuckled. I've got three masons at work to fixin' the lad's walls, he said. Something's put a mighty anger in that boy. Drizzt only nodded. He had not revealed to anyone that he had been Wolfgar's target on that particular occasion, that Wolfgar probably would have killed him blindly if the barbarian had won. The boy's just nervous, Bruner said. Again, the drow nodded, though he wasn't certain he could bring himself to agree. Wolfgar was indeed nervous, but his behavior went beyond that excuse. Still, Drizzt had no better explanations, and since the incident in the room, Wolfgar had become friendly once more toward Drizzt, had seemed more like his old self. He'll settle down once the day gets past, Bruner went on, and it seemed to Drizzt that the dwarf was trying to convince himself more than anyone else. This, too, Drizzt understood, for Caterbury, the orphan human, was Bruner's daughter in heart and soul. She was the one soft spot in Bruner's rock-hard heart, the vulnerable chink in the king's armor. Wolfgar's erratic, domineering behavior had not escaped the wise dwarf, it seemed, but while Wolfgar's attitude obviously bothered Bruner, Drizzt did not believe the dwarf would do anything about it, not unless Caterbury asked him for help. And Drizzt knew that Caterbury, as proud and stubborn as her father, would not ask, not from Bruner, and not from Drizzt. Where you been hiding, you little trickster? Drizzt heard Bruner roar, and the dwarf's sheer volume startled Drizzt from his private contemplations. He looked over to see Regis entering the hall, the halfling looking thoroughly flustered. I ate my first meal of the day, Regis shouted back, and he got a sour look on his cherubic face and put a hand on his grumbling tummy. No time for eating, Bruner snapped back. We got a hundred things to do, Regis finished imitating the dwarf's rough accent and holding up his chubby hand in a desperate plea for Bruner to back off. Bruner stomped a heavy foot and stormed over to the pile of potential menus. Since you're so set on thinking about food, Bruner began as he gathered up the parchments and heaved them, showering Regis. There'll be elves and humans aplenty at the feast, he explained as Regis scrambled to put the pile in order. Give them something their sensitive innards will take. Regis shot a pleading look at Drizzt, but when the drow only shrugged in reply, the halfling picked up the parchments and shuffled away. I'd have thought that one be better at this wedding planning stuff, Bruner remarked, loudly enough for the departing halfling to hear, and not so good at fighting goblins. Drizzt replied, remembering the halfling's remarkable efforts in the battle. Bruner stroked his thick red beard and looked to the empty doorway through which Regis had just passed. Spent lots of time on the road beside the likes of us, the dwarf decided. Too much time, Drizzt added under his breath, too quietly for Bruner to hear, for it was obvious to the drow that Bruner, unlike Drizzt, thought the surprising revelations about their halfling friend a good thing. A short while later, when Drizzt, on an errand for Bruner, neared the entrance of Cobble's chapel, he found that Bruner was not the only one flustered by the hectic preparations for the upcoming wedding. Not for all the mithril in Bruner's realm, he heard Caterbury emphatically shout. Be reasonable, Cobble whined back at her. Your father's not asking too much. Drizzt entered the chapel to see Caterbury standing atop a pedestal, hands resolutely on her slender hips, and Cobble down low before her, holding out a gem-studded apron. Caterbury regarded Drizzt and gave a curt shake of her head. 
They're wanting me to wear a smithy's apron, she cried. A damned smithy's apron on the day of me wedding. Drizzt prudently realized that this was not the time to smile. He walked solemnly to Cobble and took the apron. Battle hammer tradition, the cleric huffed. Any dwarf would be proud to wear that raiment, Drizzt agreed. Must I remind you, though, that Canterbury is no dwarf. A symbol of subservience is what it is, the auburn-haired woman spouted. Dwarven females are expected to labor at the forges all day. Not ever have I lifted a smithy's hammer, and... Driz calmed her with an outstretched hand and a plaintive look. She's Bruner's daughter, Cobble pointed out. She has a duty to please her father. Indeed, Driz, the consummate diplomat, agreed once more. But remember that she is not marrying a dwarf. Caterbury has never worked the forge. It's symbolic, Cobble protested. And Wolfgar lifted the hammer only during his years of servitude to Bruner, when he was given no choice. Drizzt finished without missing a beat. Cobble looked to Caterbury, then back to the apron, and sighed. We'll find a compromise, he conceded. Drizzt threw a wink Caterbury's way, and was surprised to realize that his efforts apparently had not brightened the young woman's mood. I have come from Bruner, the draw ranger said to Cobble. He mentioned something about testing the holy water for the ceremony. Tasted, Cobble corrected, and he hopped all about, looking this way and that. Yes, yes, the mead, he said, obviously flustered. Bruner's waiting to settle the mead issue this day. He looked up at Drizzt. We're thinking that the dark stuff will be too much for the soft-bellied group from Silvery Moon. Cobble rushed about the large chapel, scooping buckets from the various fonts that lined the walls. Caterbury offered Drizzt an incredulous shrug as he silently mouthed the words, Holy water? Priests of most religions prepared their blessed water with exotic oils. It should have come to no surprise to Drizzt, after many years beside Rowdy Bruner, that the dwarven clerics used hops. Bruner said you should bring a generous amount, Drizzt said to Cobble. Instructions that were hardly necessary given that the excited cleric already had filled a small cart with flasks. We're done for the day, Cobble announced to Caterbury. The dwarf ambled quickly to the door, his precious cargo bouncing along. But don't you be thinking that you had the last word in all of this? Caterbury snarled again. But Cobble, rambling along at top speed, was too far gone to notice. Drizzt and Caterbury sat side by side on the small pedestal in silence for some time. Is the apron so bad? The drow finally mustered the nerve to ask. Caterbury shook her head. "'Tis not the garment, but the meaning of the thing I'm not liking," she explained. "'Me wedding's in two ten days. I'm thinking that I've seen me last adventure, me last fight, except for those I'm doomed to face against me own husband." The blunt admission struck Driss profoundly and alleviated much of the weight of keeping his fears private. "'Goblins across Fairrun will be glad to hear that,' he said facetiously, trying to bring some levity to the young woman's dark mood. Caterbury did manage a slight smile, but there remained a profound sadness in her blue eyes. "'You fought as well as any,' Drizzt added. "'Did you not think I would?' Caterbury snapped at him, suddenly defensive, her tone as sharp as the edges of Drizzt's magical scimitars. "'Are you always so filled with anger?' 
Drizzt retorted, and his accusing words calmed Catterbury immediately. Just scared, I'm guessing, she replied quietly. Drizzt nodded, understanding and appreciating his friend's growing dilemma. I must go back to Bruner, he explained, rising from the pedestal. He would have left it at that, but he could not ignore the pleading look Catterbury then gave him. She turned away immediately, staring straight ahead under the cowl of her thick auburn locks, and that despondence struck Drizzt even more profoundly. "'It is not my place to tell you how you should feel,' Drizzt said evenly. Still, the young woman did not look back at him. "'My burden as your friend is equal to the one you carried in the southern city of Calimport, when I had lost my way. I say to you now, the path before you turns soon in many directions.' but that path is yours to choose. For all our sakes, and mostly yours, I pray that you consider your course carefully. He bent low, pushing back the side of Catterbury's hair, and kissed her gently on the cheek. He did not look back as he left the chapel. Half of Cobble's cart was already empty by the time the drow entered Bruner's audience hall. Bruner, Cobble, Dagna, Wolfgar, Regis, and several other dwarves argued loudly over which pail of the holy water held the finest, smoothest taste. Arguments that inevitably produced further taste tests, which, in turn, created further arguments. This one, Bruner bellowed, after draining a pail and coming back up with his red beard covered in foam. That one's good for goblins, Wolfgar roared, his voice dull. His laughter ended abruptly, though, when Bruner plopped the pail over his head and gave it a resounding backhand. "'I could be wrong,' Wolfgar, suddenly sitting on the floor, admitted, his voice echoing under the metal bucket. "'Tell me what you think, Drew!' Bruner bellowed when he noticed Drizzt. He held out two sloshing buckets. Drizzt put up a hand, declining the invitation. "'Mountain springs are more to my liking than thick mead,' he explained." Bruner threw the buckets at him, but the drow easily stepped aside, and the dark golden liquid oozed slowly across the stone floor. The sheer volume of the ensuing protests from the other dwarves at the waste of good mead astounded Drizzt, but not as much as the fact that this probably was the first time he had ever seen Bruner scolded without finding the courage to fight back. Me king! came a call from the door, ending the argument. A rather plump dwarf, fully arrayed in battle gear, entered the audience hall, the seriousness of his expression deflating the mirth in the tasting chamber. Seven kin have not returned from the newer sections, the dwarf explained. Taking their time is all, Bruner replied. They missed their supper, said the guard. Trouble, Cobble and Dagna said together, suddenly solemn. Bah, snorted Bruner as he waved his thick hand unsteadily in front of him. There be no more goblins in them tunnels. The group's down there now just hunting mithril. They found a vein of the stuff, I tell you. That'd keep any dwarf even from his supper. Cobble and Dagna, even Regis, just noted, wagged their heads in agreement. Given the potential danger whenever traveling the tunnels of the Underdark, and the deepest tunnels of Mithra Hall could be considered nothing less, the wary drow was not so easily convinced. "'What are you thinking?' Bruner asked Drizzt, seeing his plain concern. Drizzt considered his response for a long while. "'I'm thinking that you are probably right.' "'Probably?' Bruner huffed. 
Ah, well, I never could convince you. Go on, then, if that's what you want. Take your cat and go find me over the dwarves. Driz's wary smile left no doubt that Bruner's instructions had been his intention all along. I am Wolfgar, son of Bjornagar. I will go, Wolfgar proclaimed, but he sounded somewhat ridiculous with his head still under the bucket. Bruner leveled another backhand to silence his spouting. And elf, the king called, turning Drizzt back to him. Bruner offered a wicked smile to all of those about him, then dropped it fully on Regis. Be taking Rumblebelly with you, the king explained. He's not doing me much good around here. Regis's big round eyes got even bigger and rounder. He ran plump, soft fingers through his curly brown hair, then tugged uncomfortably at the one dangling earring he wore. Me? he asked meekly. Go back down there? You went once, Bruner reasoned, making his argument more to the other dwarves than to Regis. Got yourself a few goblins, if me memory's right. I have too much to... Get you going, Rumblebelly! Bruner growled, leaning forward in his seat and nearly overbalancing in the process. For the first time since you come running back to us, and know that we know you're running, do what I ask of you without your back talk and excuses. The seriousness of Bruner's grim tone surprised everyone in the room, apparently even Regis, for the halfling offered not another word, just got up and walked obediently to stand beside Drizzt. Can we stop by my room? Regis quietly asked the drow. I would like my mace and pack at least. Driz draped an arm over his three-foot-tall companion's slumping shoulders and turned him about. Fear not, he said under his breath, and to accentuate the point, he dropped the onyx figurine of Gwenhyver into the halfling's eager hands. Regis knew he was in fine company.